Welcome to Truth Nation. My name is Bill Bodner here with the Chief, Mark Garrett. This is episode nine of the Truth Nation podcast. Mark, last week we talked about all the waste, fraud, and abuse that was tied up in the COVID funding. We're going to continue on a similar theme this week. The same organization puts out a report called the Pork Report, and it's generally some of the most wasteful spending the government does. And although it's a lighthearted topic, it's actually a very scary topic when you start to see some of the things that our federal government spends money on. We'll go through them. Yes, they are all true. We're not making any of this stuff up. Our hope is that people become aware of some of these things and demand a little more accountability and transparency because government functions better when both those things are present. First thing I want to talk about is government shut shutdowns because I lived through a bunch of them, Mark. And I don't know if you ever experienced that when you worked for the state of California where there was a funding lapse and the government technically shut down. That happened to me several times while working for the government. And I get, just so people understand, this is going to sound counterintuitive. When there is a government shutdown, it costs the American people a substantial amount of money. So although politicians might have you believe when the government shuts down, we're, quote, saving money, I'm going to explain right now how that's not the case. It actually costs the taxpayers more money. And the taxpayers should demand that the government not shut down. When there is a government shutdown, when there is a funding lapse, what happens is people or the workforce is classified in two ways, essential and non-essential or critical and non-critical. If you're essential or critical, you are required to still come to work and you do not get paid. So I know the worst shutdown, I think, when I say the worst, the longest shutdown that I think I ever experienced was Trump administration. I think we missed two paychecks. So it probably went on about a month. I don't remember exactly how long. And you would think, oh, the government saved money. They didn't pay you and you were required to work. No, at the end of the shutdown, when the funding was appropriated, I got all my back pay, as did every other essential worker that was required to come to work and not get paid timely. I guess that's the best wording to use, not being paid timely. Is that frustrating? Yeah, it's frustrating, Mark, to go to work and not get paid on time. Um, a couple paychecks, I think most people in this country, after missing a couple paychecks, it starts to impact their day-to-day -day activities. In it, and it certainly did mine, or at least the stress levels associated with it. Okay, when is this going to end? Here's the part that's not talked about enough. The non-essential or workers that are deemed non-critical, the furloughed workers in the U.S. government, they are told your services are not needed, do not come to work. In fact, they are prohibited from coming to work, Mark. They're mm -hmm. told to turn their work cell phones off. They are told if they need to communicate with anybody in the workforce, do it by a personal email and do not discuss work topics. So... What I would see is I would pe see people clamoring to be classified as non-essential. Why is that? Because the shutdown would happen. These people would be furloughed. Let's say the shutdown lasted three weeks. They'd be off for three weeks, prohibited from doing work. And when the funding appropriation was eventually passed, guess what would happen, Mark? They got exactly paid. Happened. They got, got paid. paid. They got paid. So they would literally have a three-week paid vacation. Their work would pile up 
literally there's stories about a specific thing related to asset forfeiture and sharing with state and locals where the mail just piled up and created significant issues that lasted a long time. How did this happen? Because people were furloughed. They got a paid vacation from the government. So when when you hear fine, if you're a taxpayer out there and you say, great, shut down the government, we're going to save money. That's not the way it works. Everybody gets paid, even the people that don't work, they get a free paid vacation out of it. It's not something that we should tolerate as, as U.S. citizens. So aside from the COVID fraud that we talked about last week, this report discusses the 20 largest agencies making $282 billion in mistaken and improper payments. And that's different than what we're going to talk about today, right? I, I just wanted to yep. throw that out there. I'll say that again. 20 agencies making $282 billion in mistaken and improper payments. Our federal debt right now, well over $30 trillion, just so people get an idea of what that means on a per capita or per household basis. That's $91,000 of debt for every single American right now. $242,000 in debt for every taxpaying American right now. Almost a quarter million dollars of debt in fact, it probably is since this report was written uh, a number of months ago. We're probably at a quarter million dollars of debt right now for every taxpaying American. Um, accountability. We, we need to get back to a balanced budget. Mark, this report is a fascinating one. It talks about some of the strangest and, in our opinion, at least in my opinion, some of the strangest and most wasteful spending that the federal government does. It lists 50 items in there. Let me throw it to you to start, Mark unless you want to give some kind of broader statement on the overall overall state of wasteful government spending. If you do, fine. If you don't, pick one of these things and, and let's get right into it and put some of these things on the table. I want to get into it. There's no doubt about it. But you asked me, had I experienced a government shutdown as a state employee? Not per se. Never experienced the full general shutdown of government like it happened in the Fed. By the way, the federal government never shuts down. And now, mm -hmm. talk about the, the quote-unquote non-essential workers and the, the three-week paid vacation and how efficient that is and how much it costs them. But people, oh, they're going to shut the government down and blah, blah, Everything keeps going that needs to keep going. The military doesn't go away and the infrastructure doesn't go away and all those things keep happening, even though all the bad stuff keeps happening. So that said... The government shuts down every time at five o'clock every day. Yeah, but isn't it ironic, Mark, that, that the government can still function with only 20% of the workforce? It's, That's it's, something else. It's, I'm shocked, absolutely shocked. So with that said, going back to shutdowns or slowdowns and budget overruns in, in, in state government in California, what I went through, I think it was three, maybe four times, but three times for sure over my career, we got furloughed in the Ohio Patrol, and not just mm -hmm. CHP, but different agencies, state agencies got furloughed. In other words, but we were essential workers, the sworn personnel. So we had to come to work. We worked one day a month for free because of budget shortfall. So you had to show up, go out and do your job, but your paycheck that month was one day short of its original amount. But what happens is the state of California say, listen, we're not going to pay you, but we're going to take that day and we're going to put it into a bank, a time credit bank called CTO, compensated time off. So later on, you can cash that back out when the budget gets back to normal. When we get back into the black here, we're going to go ahead and reimburse you for those days that you worked for free. Okay, that's a fair trade off of what? 
think about this though. People like me who are living mm -hmm. in the future, not thinking about, oh, I can't wait to cash that out in six months and get a CDU or something like that. I thought, you know what? I'm a new officer. This goes back to early 90s, the first time we went through this. So I'm thinking, wait a minute. They're going to pay me my money back for the days. And some of these went on for close to a year, I think, we were furloughed one day a mm -hmm. month. I thought, you know what? I'm going to leave that compensated time off in that bank. Because I know we get pay raises over the years. Maybe I'll promote. And guess what happened? I went from officer all the way to chief. And so when I cashed that time out, I cashed it out literally. Well, I can't even get calculations, but multiple times oh, what yeah. it was worth when the state actually put that time in the bank for me. What, what was it your salary, costs... Mark? What was your salary? Do you remember when you first started at Highway Patrol? I remember I, I made huh? in that in '92. I made twenty six thousand dollars a year as as a first year DEA agent. Yeah, when I started with Highway Patrol in 1990, I was a cadet. I was still getting paid in the academy. But when I was sworn in, I think I was making somewhere right around forty thousand dollars a year before the overtime. Just my straight salary, give or take, it was about thirty six. I think thirty six forty thousand dollars a year in 1991 when I was sworn in as an officer. Yeah. And it, it's just, it's incredible, but this is the way, this is the way government things. So you know what? Hey, we're going to put off, we talk about slot bill. We're going to put off these payments. We're going to put all these obligations. We're going to push it down the road. The next administration, the next governor, the next president, the next Congress, we're going to push down the road. And all it does is compound and compound. So literally, that's just an example. Literally. It literally, literally. The, the interest literally compounds and compounds. Yes, yeah. exactly right. Yeah, when you're ready, I got my top five. I tell you right you get, now, I'm surprised this report, where the pork was able to put this stuff to just until 30 pages. To me, you go on for like an encyclopedia. But And, and uh, by the way, this is from uh, American Transparency, a 501c3. If you go to openthebooks.com, you can see all these reports on federal spending. Yep. Go ahead. I'll kick it off. Mm -hmm. I think we, we picked out our top five respectively. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. I'm going to give you my top five. So my first one was actually the first one they listed just by coincidence. It was actually number one on their list. It's number one on my list too. So it is IRS sends $3.6 billion in stimulus checks to 2.2 million dead people. And like you said, Bill, a little bit we talked about in uh, last week's show. But it's so important, and I made the point before, and hope people are, are uh, going to glob on this point now, the $3.6 billion uh, that they sent is, is bad enough, mm -hmm. this COVID relief. But what's more, more astonishing, startling to me, it shouldn't be the federal government, nothing should surprise me, but what does shock me the most is that they sent it to 2.2 million people. That's point. Two million times the federal government made a mistake and sent out an individual check to someone who's been dead and buried or cremated or whatever it is. That is astonishing to me. It'd be, I'd be less upset about it if they sent out $1.36 billion check. So oops, that was the wrong, wrong thing to do. They did it millions and millions of times over and over. Now, apparently, Mark, they have a list of Dead, deceased person's social security numbers, which they just didn't check. That, that's the way I, I took it. Yeah. Uh, uh, hey, absolutely right. Mark, but I did notice, and I'm happy to say, quote, the IRS asked for the money back. Money back. Unquote. You, haven't, right? you took the words right out of my mouth. 
They, yeah, and then the report states dead people are notoriously bad about paying up. They, they, yeah, I see here that they, they also the dead people declined to make a statement regarding that was me editorializing that wasn't your report, but they right. asked for the money back. This is about as insane as them sending the money out in the first place. They asked for it back from whom I don't even know. This is, and there's so much more in that one, but that one right there, the two point two million instances of negligence mm -hmm. that should be astounding to anybody like you said bill the federal government they are the caretakers they are the repository of these records they should yeah. really be able to know if the person to whom they're sending the money is deceased or living Apparently I mean, not. In this day and age, literally, it would take less than a couple seconds to, to have a computer do those, cross-reference the information is what I'm saying, and find Correct. out that all those social security numbers belong to the dead people. people well, hit me one. with here's yours. A, yeah, here's a good one. And it's about the same amount of money, Mark. $2.1 million went to sex education for commercial sex workers in Ethiopia. This is the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention gave $2.1 to the Family Guidance Association of Ethiopia to teach sex education to female commercial sex workers. The education included HIV testing, counseling, and other STI screening and treatments in 2019, as well as free condom distribution, family planning, and tuberculosis screening. And by the way, there's a note in there that prostitution is illegal in Ethiopia. Now, Mark. I don't think either of us are saying that this is not necessary training in Ethiopia. What I'm saying is, and I suspect you may agree, is why is our Centers for Disease Control, now this is 2019, why is our Centers for Disease Control funding something in a foreign country when we have such issues here in this country? Like $2.1 million for this. Come on. We have talked about this on and offline, Bill, and I think that it was CDC, like any other federal agency, state agency, local agency, often we have people, we'll probably hit this theme again as we go mm -hmm. through these the different examples of waste. But so often there are bureaucrats or even lawmakers, decision makers that are either trying to find a problem to solve or they and or they are trying to justify their existence and show how invaluable that they are as an entity or as a bureaucrat or as an elected official. And I have no idea. I have no idea why the federal government is involved to this level with uh, any foreign government with, uh -huh. with a program like this. But I would suspect that as part of a justification for a program, for resources, and for making sure that the budget stays fat next year as they are this year. That's mm -hmm. my guess on it. Yep. So just for reference, the one that you spoke of, the IRS one, was number one on the list of 50. This was number six. Let me kick it back to you. What else did you saw that piqued your interest in this report? So the next one for me was number 17. And that is COVID unemployment fraud. So we had our big COVID relief program, the CARES Act for the pandemic. And for me, as far as I'm concerned, the fix was worse than the original problem. With all of the 
of all of the people who tragically, and I mean that tragically died, it, it, certainly those prematurely or those that were all prematurely, if you die from COVID, I would say. But for as bad as that was, I think the federal government's involvement did at the very best did nothing and may have actually exacerbated the problem. And by the way, I think it certainly made life worse for those people who weren't disease-wise affected by COVID, from employers, employees, things like this, had, had made life miserable for so many people. So number 17 here, COVID unemployment fraud. Mm -hmm. Even here with their fraud, the, the federal government, it's saying 200 to 400 that's yeah, the big, range, 200 that's a big, 400 yeah. billion in COVID aid, unemployment fraud, the generous unemployment insurance program that Congress put into place to cover COVID-19 caused job losses and has become a cash cow for the world's criminals, con artists, and crime syndicates. One company estimates over $200 billion has gone or will go to crooks and cyber criminals. By the way, they say crooks and cyber criminals. Isn't that the same thing? Yeah. Whatever. The cybersecurity firm uh, Aguirre explained how a Nigerian cybercrime ring targeted last year's COVID, and again, this a couple years ago, last year's COVID-19 Relief Cares Act unemployment insurance. Criminals are seeing essentially trillions of dollars that is up for grabs, Crane, hash, Hashold, Aguirre Senior Director of Threat Research, told NBC News. So it goes on and on. And I think in their, our last show, you talked about how the crooks actually access the funds. But the point is, close to a half a trillion dollars potentially was stolen through fraudulent behavior. This is, look, I think everybody probably listening at one point or another has been subject to some type of identity theft, frauds, yeah. get your credit card, get to this or whatever, gets that account, gets that account. You got to fix it real quick and yeah. knock on wood, no big deal, straighten it out. But the idea that federal government is so lax in securing the information required to, to make sure this funding is safe is absolutely disgusting. It's a, it's a disgrace. It, it, my take is, Bill, is that not enough people in government have a, enough personal stake in making sure these funds are taken care of. It's, oh, it's somebody else's money. Who cares if it's yep. stolen? Yep. That's my take on it. But this is an absolute disgrace. That much money was actually, that we know of, by the way, they admit to was actually yep. stolen. Yep. How about this one? This is number 47. And there's some repeat offenders, I noticed, Mark, in this list. Like a couple government organizations that came up in this list multiple times. This is one of them here. This is, in 2020, National Science Foundation funded a study to examine, and now this is a study that cost $750,000, by the way. They spent $750,000 uh, to fund a study to examine how well different types of lizards could hang onto trees. They were concerned about increasing frequency of hurricanes and high-speed winds due to climate change, especially their effects on the Anoli lizard population. I don't even know if I said that. So they decided I, to I test... I wouldn't either. Yeah, they decided to test how long Anoli lizards could hang onto trees in these onerous conditions, and they used a leaf blower to attempt to blow the lizards off the trees. They spent over, uh, I'm sorry, 75000 I may have said 750 If I did, I apologize. They spent $75,000 to do this study. Where'd that money come from? It came from the federal government. I'm curious. How do you spend $75,000? Maybe the person 
holding the leaf blower. A full a year, a full salary. Like you right. pay, I guess it pays for everything. Or maybe they make five hundred thousand dollars a year, and it take a month to do it or something. <laughs> Possible I mean, too. I'm just wondering how do you got to work hard to spend seventy five thousand dollars on a leaf blower and standing in front of a tree with a lizard? But the federal government, I I, I guess, can do it. Again, that was number forty-seven, seventy-five thousand dollars in federal grant to blow lizards off trees with leaf blowers. And by the way, Bill, would you go ahead and pitch this study again where we got it so people can actually go look for the, the, yeah. the full list because it's yeah, absolutely this is it's a report called Where's the Pork? And it's uh, available at OpenTheBooks.com. And the name of the organization is American Transparency. They are a five hundred one c three organization. They do a lot of freedom of information requests. They monitor OIG reports, and they actually read and study the budgets a lot more than the politicians do who vote for them. And they try to provide transparency to the American people and educate people as to where their tax dollars are going. That's great. And by the way, it's chock full of charts and lots of documentation. It's really well done. So my third one was actually number 20 on the list. Mm -hmm. And this one is unpaid student debt. Now, I know since this article has, or since this study has been published, things like that, things have gone through the courts and Joe Biden paying debts back and unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. Now he's still doing it to the backdoor way. But that notwithstanding, let's just talk about the general problem with unpaid student debt. Unpaid federal student loans top, anybody want to guess? $435 billion. Now, I want to read a little bit of the summary on this one, but I want you to think about something. These are loans. These are loans and have not been paid back to the federal government. What happens if you borrow money to buy a house and you don't pay it back? Anybody who owns a house, anybody who owns a mortgage, have you ever been in a situation where you have not paid your mortgage back? What happened? We all know what happens. But when it comes to government, there seems to be, oh, not so much of a big deal. You, you're able to get away with this, at least push it off for years and years and years and years and years. So President Joe Biden has mulled for giving $10,000 in student debt per borrower and ending tuition for many students at public colleges. Sorry, I've got to editorialize here when it says ending tuition at public colleges. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a lie. It is a misdirect. It is a shell game. You're not ending tuition. The government is now going to just shift it to the, or the university is just going to shift it to the taxpayer. You're not ending tuition. If everybody goes to a college and they out of their physical pocket don't pay for it, that just means more people who are not going to college are paying for it. That's all it means. Bill, and I think you muted yourself there. Gordon. Yeah, Mark, I want to mention something fascinating that, that I learned a couple of years ago about the cost of college educations. And just because it goes to what you're saying right now, there's a, there was a push to make more financial aid av available under the premise that college would become more affordable, uh, more people would be able to go to college, right? So what happened? The more financial aid was available, let's say the, uh, yeah, the, let's say that, that this year there's... 17% more financial avail aid available out there in the universe for potential students to take advantage of. Guess what the universities and colleges did? They raised tuition by 17%. I, the college is, I, the more financial aid, 
If the government takes over paying for education, guess what's going to happen to the true cost of education? 100%. I'm glad you expanded on that because I'm not an economist, but some of this stuff, I think it's pretty simple to understand. Here's an example. So the government's going to guarantee your tuition is paid, right? Mm -hmm. Like you said, they increased the funding by 17%. What are the colleges? They raised 17%. Because why? The colleges know that the tuitions are guaranteed by the government. So let's say you want to go out and buy a new Ford pickup truck. And for some reason, the federal government say, you know what? We're going to, we're going to now guarantee that everybody who wants a Ford pickup truck is going to be able to get it. Go into the dealership, tell them what you want, and you're going to get, you're going to get reimbursed for that truck. What do you think Ford is going to do? If Ford knows the government is going to pay for the truck, at whatever price they set, they're going to raise the prices. It's very simple. Colleges are no different. So to continue this, any tuition for many public uh, students at college, again, we know it's not any tuition, it's just shifting the pay. Even as graduates have already not paid back $435 billion to the federal government of the government's $1.4 trillion dollar student loan portfolio almost worth one third is unpaid yeah. the 435 billion is compared to the 535 billion that the private lenders lost on subprime mortgage during the 2008 financial crisis ladies and gentlemen think about that ladies and gentlemen boys and girls think about that yeah it's almost to what the private sector lost on defaulted loans and look what that did look what that yeah that's it you, you, you said it. Look what that did. Well, that's, you know, not, I, that's my number three. Mark, I thought there was something else in this report, and of course I'm looking for it now, I can't find it, about fraudulent student loan applications. At uh, What? I didn't have the the entire, I brought my yeah. top five here. I get and I it. Didn't, no, I, I have I, it online here. There might be. I thought it, and it was about, it was especially bad in California junior colleges, and it was people, they hacked the system yes. and established a bunch of, fake student profiles or maybe yes, fake applications or whatever. And then they just applied for student aid and took all the money and, and absconded with it. All right, back to me. Uh, I'm going to have to go. It's a tough one, Mark, but I'm going to have to go with number 37, which oh. is the National Institute of Health. Right? They spent $500,000 to... And I got to make sure I get this wording correct, Mark, because National Institute of Health gave $500,000 to study gambling pigeons. Recently, National Institutes of Health gave researchers at Reed College in Portland, Oregon. And Mark, when I read this, do you think, like when I read this, I think this is like some college kids sitting around drinking beer, nothing wrong with that saying, hey, we could apply for some crazy grant. Let's apply for the craziest grant we can think of and see what happens. I almost feel like that's what they did here, and NIH actually funded it. I, I agree. In other words, right. it, at some point, you wonder, yeah. did someone see how absurd can we get, and let's see if the bosses buy off on it. This one sounds like, there's a couple others too, don't get me wrong, but this one sounds like it. NIH gave researchers at Reed College in Portland, Oregon, 465339 American taxpayer dollars or borrowed money, printed money, to create a token-based economy where pigeons are taught to gamble with slot machines. 
The pigeons were given tokens and could choose whether to spend, save, or gamble them. While researchers claimed the study helped them understand the behavioral economics, uh, the NIH didn't explain how pigeons' gambling habits relate to humans' gambling habits. Incredibly, they admitted the study focused more on, lab quote, laboratory models rather than practical applications. Bill, that was going to be my question. Okay, fine. It's absurd. It's absolutely, it's mind-boggling that they would engage in this, but maybe there's some really smart people out there who have a reason for doing this. They can tell us what the reason was. And you answered my question before I got no, they, there. We yeah, don't even know why they did it. No, they don't even know why they did it. And that leads me back to my initial thing, which was, it almost sounds like a couple guys and girls sitting around saying, what's the most ridiculous thing we can come up with? And then the, that OS moment when it got approved and they said, hey, we actually got half a million dollars to, to study. Now the OS, that stands for overspend? I believe. Yeah, yeah. Both in this case. All right. Number four on my list, by the way, these are in no particular order because they're all in the cat category of absurdity and disgust. But number four on my list was number 24 from the study, improper payments. Feds admit, mm -hmm. and this is a key word, they admit to $281 billion in improper payments in 2021. Improper payments are payments made by the U.S. government that should not have been made or have been made in error. That sounds redundant. Yeah. So they've sent out money when it should not have been sent out. $281 billion. And I go back to the bold part here where it says the feds admit to it. That's mm -hmm. what we can squeeze out of them so far. Again, it's probably much higher than that. One might think that, by the way, this is 2021. This is very important. One might think the increase came from massive COVID-19 relief programs. However, the auditors generally excluded major relief programs like the Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP, from their analysis, meaning the amount may be, guess what, much higher. This is the federal government. And again, I love the examples you're given here with these studies with the pigeons and gambling and things like this. They're very important on one level. On another level with stuff like this, this is huge money being misappropriated, mismanaged by the same people who authorize the study of gambling right. pigeons. This is why it all comes together, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to, for all of us to understand that just because someone's elected, just because someone has a PhD in XYZ does not mean they have common sense or good managerial skills or have a concern about how your tax money is spent. Yeah, I think it's, Mark, as we talked about last week a little bit, what could this money have done on a micro level if it was left in the taxpayers' pockets? And how could it have improved the quality of life for families in our country instead of going to things like this? Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay on the the branch of the tree I'm on, and I have another crazy one here. You mean the tree with the pigeons? The tree with the pigeons. <laughs> this is number 28. State Department gave $25,000 in grants to Chinese surfers. According to a recent grant notice, the United States Mission to China is funding a $25,000 grant to carry out a program to engage Hainan surfing community and local environmentally active social media influencers on the topic of climate change and impacts to ocean environments. 
It's your tax dollars at work in the surf of the South China Sea. That's right. While Beijing continues its military buildup in the South China Sea, the Biden administration is making sure surfers enjoy the waves. Now, I don't, can't even I'm all it. used up. I don't even know how yeah. to respond. No, you can't. I, it, what, I, what confidence does one have? By the way, I, got, I have my fifth and final point, too. It may top that one, but that should be enough right there. I, again, I'm at a loss for explanation. By the way, yeah. well, they did try to answer why they were doing it, unlike the pigeon gambling thing. I don't agree <laughs> with the reasoning, but at least they put an answer in there ahead of time. Ready for my fifth one? And you're muted. Let me have it. Okay. So number five, my fifth and final one. By the way, I have about another 10 that were honorary mentions, but I know we're going to hold it to our, each of our top five. My number five is... Number 36 on the report, mm -hmm. wood burner oh, credits. That's a great one. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, let's talk about the federal government being in the business. And by the way, it's a good analogy right now, a good play of words here, a good pun. Being the arsonist and then wanting to become the firefighter to, to put the fire out. And I'll tell you why. You'll see here in a second. Number 36, I, I think I said, yeah. Mm -hmm. Feds give credits for wood burners, then $2.1 million grants to remove them. It's duplication nation. Look no further the Environmental Protection Agency and Congress for the latest example of one hand not knowing what the other is doing. I would say it's, it's an example of one hand not knowing it's attached to an arm or a body. That's how bad it is. The EPA is funding $2.1 million in grants to replace residential wood burner stoves and fireplaces with electric heat pumps in the San Francisco Bay Area. What a shocker. As reported by justthenews.com, the funding is part of the EPA's larger targeted airshed program to reduce air pollution, which has spent tens of millions of dollars in the last several years. This is, as Congress passed, the $900 billion COVID-19 relief package, which includes tax credits for people who install home heating and hot water systems that use wood pellets, <laughs> chips, and cordwood. Congress has created a maze of bureaucracy and overlap with duplicating programs costing taxpayers money. They created the problem that we have to pay to fix Literally, this is not mm -hmm. even an exaggeration mm -hmm. by no means. They literally create the problem they want to fix with the funding, and you and I are paying for it. It is, I keep saying it, I don't, I run out of words. It's beyond yeah. words. It's astonishing. Yeah. It's disgusting. It's a disgrace. But this is what it is it's an example, example number 148, why we should never entrust the federal government with things that we should and could be doing for ourselves. Bill? Yeah, I, Mark, I think it's also, I thought you were going to go somewhere else. I thought you were going to say and it's an example of big government, how big well, government ends up costing us money because one, the old saying, one hand not knowing what the other one's doing, obviously that's what's going on here. And I saw that, hey, I saw that on a much smaller level with, in, in one part of uh, our organization, we were surplusing a particular type of equipment, right? We were getting rid of a particular type of equipment. 
in another part of the organization, we were actually buying that same exact equipment. And you, it's just inefficiency. Like, why are we uh, giving people an incentive to get rid of something here and then giving them an incentive here to actually do that thing? That was a great one. That's Hey, there's a couple others that we got we to gotta touch on, Mark. There's a couple Gladly. others we got to touch on. We, we, we got a couple minutes left. And I do see National Science Foundation seems to be a repeat offender in this list. I think NIH, the National Institute of Health, was in here a few times on this list. Here's one from, now this one didn't have, I didn't see this one had a number, but, but I got to mention it just because it's so strange. The National Science Foundation gave Penn State University researchers $300,000 to complete several studies in 2015 and 2016. So this is going back a couple of years. Mm-hmm including ones that looked at whether inactivity is a feminine or masculine behavior. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Wouldn't that be outlawed today? Yes. The study organizers had 960 people participate in three studies, the first two of which included reading fictional summaries of a person's daily activities, which included either feminine, masculine, or neutral pro-environmental behaviors. The studies showed that pro-environmental behaviors deemed feminine or masculine may affect people's perceptions about the person. If you are a man carrying reusable shopping bags or a woman caulking windows, watch out because your sexual orientation could be in question. It's just $300,000. That's a significant chunk of money, Mark, to go to funding a, a crazy thing like that. You know what? Hey, no, it, I, it, it, go ahead. I would have done that study for... 150K for the feds. I would have done that study. How about number 14? And I think only because it's it's timely today. Let me turn to it here. Chinese Communist Party tied firms Mm -hmm. got 200 to 400 million in U.S. COVID aid. Mm -hmm. I feel like I really need to read some of the details. Bill, and we also know that the the labs in China, Mm -hmm. or we know that they were funded, the COVID labs, were partially that was funded N- what, by, Now, was I that mean, NIH or NAIH? Or... I, yeah, Fauci's yeah, yeah. world, that. And by the way, also labs in Ukraine with the same, I forget what you call it, but biological war, warfare, war, yep. warfare funded by U.S. tax dollars. It's absolutely a disgrace. Mark, not to get off topic, but I'm going to do it anyway. Did you hear mm-hmm. about that story in L.A. a couple of weeks ago of the Chinese lab? that was uncovered that had biological samples in it in, in LA? I don't believe so. Okay, crazy story. I'm going to send you that article because that's something maybe worth talking about. I'd love to read yeah. up on it. Here's the details on this one. Chinese Communist Party firms got $200 million to $400 million in U.S. COVID aid. A legal loophole in the Paycheck Protection Program meant to help American small businesses was used by 125 firms with strong ties to the Communist Chinese Party to collect hundreds of millions of dollars. The PPP allowed American subsidiaries of foreign companies to get the forgivable loans, sending millions to Chinese companies. This is according to the New York Times. The paper reported that more than 125 companies... Now, by the way, the New York Times, Mark, a conservative, a bastion of conservative journalism, in your opinion? No. No. The paper reported that more than 125 companies that Chinese entities own or invest in had received 192 million to 419 million, 
with at least 32 Chinese companies receiving loans of more than 1 million. What it doesn't say that I'm uh, actually quite curious about is what percent or what amount of those loans were actually forgiven and not ever repaid. Well, Bill, you said, there's a phrase in there, I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget, gave them forgivable loans. This is double talk. Is it, yeah, is it really a loan? It's, it's a loan. I think the word is grant or gift we should be using. We say, right. I, by the way, I want a forgivable loan. I like to get as many as I could, not from the federal government, because I don't want to deal with them anymore than I have to. But this double talk is these, it's, let's say it's part of the federal government culture. Hey, I just got two more things I want to talk about, Mark. One of them mm -hmm. is is earmarks, okay? We we hear that term, and I don't know. I'm going to be honest with you, Mark. Before, actually, this preparation for this show, I didn't really know. I had an idea what an earmark is. I thought it was mm -hmm. just an extra amount of funding that was tacked onto a bill or something. Mm -hmm. Here's what earmarks actually are. And by the way, they were banned for 10 years between sometime around 2011 and 2021. Mm -hmm. Our politicians actually said, no, you, we're not going to allow this anymore. It's gotten too out of control. And then, of course, in 2021, it came back. And I'll talk about some of the controls that are in place, but really what they are. Earmarks are a way for individual Congress members to request funding for a project directly during the budgeting process. So generally, in the budgetary process, our politicians will decide, and you let me know, Mark, if you think I'm off base with this description. Generally, during the budgetary process, our politicians will decide how funding is allocated to different entities in the federal government. They will not specify specifically down to the granular level how that money is spent. Correct. A, an earmark is actually a specific granular determination of how money in the budget is going to be spent. And what politicians do is they put these earmarks in and they direct the funding to very specific projects or entities in their districts. That's what it is. Uh, and here's an example. Um, if there's a bridge that needs to be repaired or a school that needs to be repaired or there's an, an investment that needs to take place, an earmark will actually be very specific and direct money to that exact program. Now, earmarks were banned by party leaders in 2010 amid concerns that they lead to wasteful spending and possible corruption. Groups like Citizens Against Government Waste have been quick to critique the return of earmarks. The practice, now here's why they were eliminated in the first place. The earmark practice circumvents the competitive process whereby agencies weigh the merits of spending projects that move from local review to state to a federal agency, which awards money to the highest priority projects with the context of the statutory requirements enacted by Congress. Mark, this almost goes to what you were saying, I don't know, either earlier today or last week, where you said, why is this tax money going to the federal government and then back to the state government to facilitate these programs? And in this case, it's even worse because it's the money going to the federal government. And with earmarks, the federal government is determining on a granular level how it's going to be spent in your state or in your city. And they are probably the furthest removed entity from actually knowing what the needs are of your community. There, I know there was some new controls that were established, supposedly. So here's what the controls are now. And I don't know, you tell me if you think these will have any 
impact on earmarks going forward. A lawmaker cannot have a financial interest in the earmark. I hope not. That should be a pretty basic thing. The earmark money cannot be directed to for-profit entities. Every request must be made in writing and posted publicly in an online database. Each earmark must be listed publicly for 48 hours before it can be included in the approved bill. There's a 1% cap on discretionary spending for earmarks. GAO, that's the Government Accountability Office, is required to audit a sample of enacted congressionally directed spending items and report its findings to Congress. Yeah, I don't know, earmarks, um, what do you think, Mark? Dangerous process? To, dangerous well, thing I think to bring it's a dangerous pro uh, process. The, the problem is, from a practical point of view, Bill, is that when if you are an elected official, you're in Congress, and this is a reality historically that this person over here is going to lobby harder than you to get money to get sent back to their district, back to their, their constituents. In other words, putting a rock on a hard place, I would think, wait a minute. Is all the money going to go all the other states, earmarks, things like that? I need to get something back to my state, understandably. And that you get caught up in doing this whole thing and being part of the problem. I'm not an expert on this, but I do. I have read enough of this and been in government enough to know this. Is that one of the things you talked about in there about it has to go to a not-for-profit mm -hmm. entity. Mm -hmm. When we're talking about, when you're talking about big projects, in a state, there is never a time when there's no not-for-profit entity involved because we'll take, for example, let's take a transportation uh, agency in a given state. Let's put it that way. Any state, okay? Right. Highway. Right. They don't build anything. They contract to uh -huh. construction companies to build them. And I can guarantee you that those construction companies that build highways are always lobbying to, hey, here's why we're the best. Here's why we can do it. And by the way, and here's why, just so you know, we should build another highway here, things like this. There is always a profit motive in the mix when federal or any government dollar is floating around the atmosphere. There's always a for-profit entity involved in the process. So it's just never a clean process when Ever the federal government gets involved in doing anything. And by the way, there are a lot of necessary things the federal government should be doing or have to do. There are things that are specific in the Constitution. One is the military. It's probably the mm -hmm. easiest one to uh, articulate, easy example, the easiest example to give. But even though, even there, there's going to be waste. There's going to be waste. There's going to be some level of fraud in that because it's just like you said, it's from this massive into the federal government going to a shipbuilder, an aircraft builder, mm -hmm. manufacturer, things like there's oversight. We try to keep it to a minimum, I would hope, in government, but it's not a perfect solution. I want to give an example of this, a really good example. People always mm -hmm. tout the, the Transcontinental Railroad going back to 18, actually started in 1860. Three, I believe, or 1862, I believe the money was actually allocated, maybe 61. Abraham Lincoln's administration and the Congress back then, pardon me. There was so much waste and fraud, really more, more fraud than waste in that undertaking. By the way, and the end story was we got a transcontinental railroad. We paid literally the price we paid for that, this country was way and uh, way above what it would have been had it been strictly a private undertaking. It may not even happen as quickly as it did. I don't know. It may have happened mm -hmm. quicker. But the point is, the way that 
those shot callers, the owners of those respective railroads, committed fraud against the federal government, could take up two of our shows, what they did. And whenever we can keep government out of the private sector, boy, it's going to save money in the long run. So earmarking, it's a little bit out of my wheelhouse. Why not a veto was another thing that's related to that. And it's something I should read upon more. But yeah, is it abused? Absolutely. Yeah. Mark, you, you made me think of the, uh, the post. Last week, I called for Amtrak. I said, hey, why is that mm -hmm. still a government entity? Why not, why not sell that, break it up, sell it to a pri privatize it and make it, someone can take it and make it into a profitable, profitable business. Let's look at the post office. There was a fascinating story that I'm getting a little bit off topic about the post office here. The post office did a campaign at one time, Mark, to encourage people to write letters and send these letters by mail. Old-fashioned, right? The old-fashioned way to communicate, write a letter to someone you love, put a stamp on it, and drop it in the mailbox. Unfortunately, because the post office actually loses money on every letter sent, that letter-writing campaign, the success of it, cost the post office $19 million in losses, <laughs> right? So the United States post office lost $69 billion in 11 years. FedEx is somehow profitable, right? I don't know what their earnings are right now. I, I should probably have looked. UPS, DHL. Is there room now? And again, this might be something like at the time the post office was created, Maybe there was a need for government to be involved in that. Should we be out of the postal business today? Should we just... That's a good question. Uh, and I, should... I ponder that myself, Bill. And yeah. It's one of the few things that's actually articulated in the Constitution and with postal service. And it's something, quite frankly, I would not like to see go away. But more than that, I would like to see run efficiently. I think that one of the problems is, look, I enjoy it. I, I just sent a letter a couple of days ago to somebody. I put a stamp on there. I went actually to the post office to drop it. I actually go to the post office. Call me weird, especially mm -hmm. here in Florida where I live. It's pretty rural. It's actually, it's a really good experience. Mm -hmm. Unlike where I came from in California. I actually enjoy it. People here are nice. But it's not really a matter of, in my opinion, necessity or function, it's a matter of management. I just think that because it's a federal entity, it's managed poorly. And the thing is, if you look at probably any large agency, you compare them, whether it's postal or it's law enforcement or it's health services, when you look at government, they're almost always run less efficiently than private sector entities because yeah. private sector has to make a profit in order to exist or file bankruptcy. And that's not true. Government agencies don't file bankruptcy. They get more money from taxpayers. Yeah. So I think that if that onus was put on federal agencies or local agencies, state agencies, if we actually had people in place and there's oversight that really wanted to make these entities work efficiently, effectively, I think they would work fine. It's not a, it's not a result of it's the post office. It's a result of it not being run properly. That's the problem, not being competitive with the private sector. So we see it in our public schools. 
They know their guaranteed existence, be federal and state funding. They don't have to compete. They can be as crappy as they want in LA Unified School District. Prime example, one of the worst track records we can imagine in the, in the last probably 30 years in public education, and they still get more and more money. I think, I could be wrong on this, I believe under California state constitution, and please fact check me, I could be wrong, but I believe that the state constitution requires 50% of the state budget to go to public education. It requires it by constitution, state constitution. No matter what they're doing, there's no caveat in there. There's no, unless you do this or you have to do that, there's none of that in there. It just says it has to get 50% of the state budget which I don't know, it's well over $200 billion now. And so in the public schools in total are still doing horrible in California. Why? Because it's guaranteed income for them and they don't have to perform. Same thing with the, with the postal service, unfortunately. I don't think you'll find anyone, Mark, that works for a federal agency that doesn't think you Well, look what happened. I saw an interview, interview of Elon Musk where, and I don't remember the exact quote, but it was the question was something to the effect of they cut the workforce by eighty percent, something to that, something yes. close to that number. How yes. is the company still able to function? Right. Function when they cut the workforce by eighty percent? His answer was something to the effect of you'd be surprised if you're just focusing on the core mission and not running a censorship platform or, or something like that. You'd be surprised what what it actually takes to run the company. The federal government could probably reduce the workforce by a huge percentage and really see no impact in day-to-day -day performance of duties. And that's anybody that works for the federal government, if you ask them, will candidly, will tell you that. It's not for profit, and there's really, accountability is not what it is in the private sector, and it's not as efficient. Yeah. And, you know, I, it's, it's, it's time to, pri I think it's time to privatize big chunks of it and let a, let a private company take a crack at it and see if they can turn it around. When, when you've lost billions of dollars every year that you've been in existence or $69 billion in 11 years for the post office, maybe it's time to turn it over. But you know where I stand on it. And again, I said, emotionally, yeah. I said, dad, do I, do I want to see it go away? But from a practical point of view and a responsible point of view, I think it absolutely should come down to, to competition. I couldn't agree with you more. Let me, I got, there's two things I got before we wave off here, Mark, two more things I got to mention that because Truth is stranger than fiction, right? <laughs> Usually is. This one is was number 10 on the list. And again, the, the uh, NIH, but this is the, I guess the national, this is the part of NIH that Fauci, ironically, was in charge with. I don't know that he had anything to do with this particular program. I'm not saying that. NIAID spent $478,188 to turn monkeys transgender. According to an NIH grant originally uncovered by the National Pulse, the agency awarded grants totaling $478,188 in fiscal years 21 and 22 to inject hormones into male monkeys facilitating gender transition. All grantees that receive funding from NIH are required to follow the ethical guidelines put forth in the Guide for Care and Use of Laboratory Animals, it states that studies that may result in significant alterations in the animal's ability to maintain normal physiology should include descriptions of appropriate humane endpoints or provide science-based justification 
for not using a particular commonly accepted humane endpoint. It's unclear if an official ethical justification for this experiment was ever provided. That was my question again. What is the point of this? And by the way, for those people who believe that you can become any sex you want or multiple sexes or non-sex or whatever it is, these poor monkeys, did the monkeys ever tell anybody they wanted to go from male to female or female to male? Isn't this like the ultimate cruel experimentation on uh, this poor animal? Isn't this the ultimate cruelty? Then to what end is the question? To what, to, to what benefit to humanity is that? What's that study trying to, how is it trying to enhance the quality of life even for Humanity. Yes, we hear about, and again, this is the federal government now who's so big, and especially this administration, the Biden administration, about gender affirmation health care, gender affirmation surgery. Do we hear this all the time, gender affirmation? Again, I wanted to find out who the person is who spoke to these monkeys and found out that what gender they want to affirm. It's mm-hmm. disgusting. It's all, it's all so evil, in my opinion. And to inflict this, like I said, if we're doing, again, there are experiments on animals that have to be done for the betterment of humankind. We're talking about mm-hmm. cancer drugs. You're talking about certain surgical procedures, things like this. I don't want to see it happen to any animal like this, but we make a choice. Do we want humans to be better off due to these necessary experiments or not? You make that choice. I do. Having said that, we can look at any number of experiments that are done on animals that benefit humans with drugs and things like this. This, I, for the life of me, I cannot see what possible benefit to humankind can come out of such a cruel thing. Agreed, Mark. Agreed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end it on this one, Mark. Again, and this one is another National Institute of Health. I don't know who's probably ought to do some research under who's running the show over there. Uh, $6.9 million spent on this the national institutes of health okay the national institutes of health's national cancer institute gave stanford university researchers 6.9 million to build a toilet with three cameras including one that can identify the user's anal print the toilet monitors urine and stool for signs of disease including cancer that's almost seven million dollars I don't. That's our, yeah, that's our taxpayers. I'm money. not even sure that. Yeah, it's our time. That's our. I'm not even sure it warrants a response. It speaks no. for itself. No. Again, the organization that put this report together, American Transparency, OpenTheBooks.com, a 501c3 organization. They've been on all the news channels, constantly cited by people who are trying to root out waste, fraud, corruption, and taxpayer abuse. My word to everyone, Mark, educate yourselves, demand transparency, and let's start to let's start to promote some amount of accountability to the onto those people that are making some of these funding decisions. Anything to close, Mark? Amen to that. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.